autism. Let me ask you, what do you know about autism, ladies and gentlemen? Autism is a very interesting subject that is very relevant to our society today. And today we are going to interview our first guest. His name is Scott, and Scott is open about his experience with autism. Let's invite him to the show today. Welcome to my brand new podcast in which I interview people about their life experiences. Let's get started. Okay, we're going live in three, two, one. All right, feel free to introduce yourself. Hello, my name is Scott, and uh, I have experienced uh, mental health and living with autism. Well, welcome, Scott. Uh, to the podcast where I interview people with uh, unusual life experiences. Personally, I think that autism is a very interesting subject that we haven't covered yet. So I'm, I'm very curious to hear you out. I guess we can start at the beginning. Like at, at what age, I guess, did you discover this about yourself? And just, I'm also curious about your general background and like who you are as a person. And yeah. Okay. Well, um, Really, uh, I've, I was always sort of a really, really sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but mm -hmm. sort of someone who didn't never really fit in at school, in preschool, secondary school oh, or anything like that. That's a common story, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, it's very common, but mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like I never fit in and it all started like I found out about it when I was 14, when I finally got an official diagnosis. Mm -hmm. for autism and yeah just explained a lot for me really so what what made you want to um get a diagnosis in the first place is it because you felt isolated or did you struggle with certain things sorry if there's a personal question to ask but i'm curious ask away but um yeah i i sort of felt a little bit isolated and felt like you know no one at school really understood me or you know, and, and I was bullied at the time as well. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's something that I had to uh, get on with, really. Well, um, to me, it's this is a relatable story. Um, I don't know if you know, but I, I think that we are in the same boat. So, yeah. So, I, I pretty, pretty much also had the same experience and i also was diagnosed with autism so i think we are alike in some way yeah and um, like uh, i i do know uh, that you've got autism i did watch your uh, little series on youtube about it oh yeah 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 well i didn't want to mention it because it feels like i'm promoting my youtube here i don't want to do that but you're right i did make a video about it once that's true well and, well let me do the promotion for you <laughs> yeah but um, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I think a lot of people with the condition, I guess they, they struggle to, I don't know. For me, the thing is, I always struggle to make meaningful connections with people, right? I can, I can talk to people, I, I can be a little bit likable, but like sustaining a, a friendship or a connection to me, that part was always very difficult, especially when I was younger. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Like at, at school, I can really struggle to, you know, make meaningful connections. Mm -hmm. And I would say I still struggle with it now. And it has led to feelings of isolation, really. So right. um, 
so um, the reason you wanted to get uh, diagnosed, right? Was it mainly because, for example, you struggled with uh, functioning or was it more because of the social aspect? It was more the social aspect and I, you know, I wanted some kind of explanation as to why I didn't really fit in with anyone. That makes sense. And um, so this, at this time you were about uh, 14. How about your yeah. um, performance at school, for example? Did you struggle with that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, um, if it wasn't something to do with biology or nature, I just struggled with it heavily. Ah, uh, that's, that's, that's also really relatable. You know, um, hmm, how, how do you, how do we, I uh, convey this? I always feel like, you know, um, personally for me, I've always been very subjected to very intense preoccupations, right? Almost uh, obsessive level of interest for some topics, but at, yeah. the at the same time, topics that don't interest me is, is, it's so much more difficult to learn about them, right? That's how oh, I. Feel. Oh, yeah. It's, it's like it's my, why... my brain just rejects the information that it is not interested in, no matter how hard you try. That's how I feel, at least. I don't know how that is oh, for you. Yeah, definitely. Like, I could tell you anything about my tarantulas, but start, start talking to me about, I, I don't know, the weather, and I, I can't learn about that stuff. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. For me, it was exactly the same. But um, I mean, you are open about it, so that's good. So how, how are yeah. you? So how did it go from there? You were fourteen. You got diagnosed, I guess. And what happened next? I guess I'm just curious. I'm just well, um, first of all, uh, at at school, like as soon as I got the official diagnosis, I tried to sort of get a little bit of learning support, mm -hmm. you know, to be able to help me mm -hmm. out. But uh, when I uh, went to them about my learning sport, they were like, oh, we don't believe you've got autism. And I'm like, there with, I've got the piece of paper that says I do in my hand. They didn't believe you? Yeah, they didn't believe me. Or the note from the official psychologist that did the diagnosis. Wow. That's so weird, though. Yeah. And did, from that point, did things improve or... I at least had a better understanding of the way I act and sort of like, you know, why I got bothered by certain things like loud noises and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So you get, you feel like you get um, overstimulated a lot. Oh, definitely. Like mm -hmm. it, it's weird because uh, one of the places which I just absolutely can't go into uh, <clears throat> is a place called Primark. Primark. It's it's a clothing shop in the UK. Yeah, I've heard of but, it, yeah. Yeah, but it's absolutely, uh, it's always packed. And there's so much going on that <laughs> I just can't go in there. Well, I, I think most people struggle to go to Primark, trust me. But um, you know what I always found very interesting is how, you know, people with autism, I guess, this apply to us both. Um, we get framed as if we are people like who, who uh, I guess are antisocial, which is not true, by the way, or are people that, for example, have less empathy, which is also not true. And 
You know, I, I think the, the thing with autism is um, you, in general, you have, you know, more difficulty interpreting what people say. You have more difficulty interpreting people's emotions, which in a way to people makes you more, I guess it makes you more distant. It makes you more difficult to communicate with. But it's, it's not true that we don't get lonely and that we don't have empathy. That's bullshit, right? That's, that's people just oh, look, look, looking at the surface. And that's what always kind of pissed me off about it, right? It's, it's like with, I found I did find this sort of good explanation of it. So yeah. like, like, basically, it's like everyone else has a manual for how to read a you know, body language and facial yes, expressions. Yes, yes. But we've lost that manual. And it's yes. not like we can behind the sofa. That's a perfect way to put it, to be honest. It, yeah, it feels, you know, it's, it's like that meme on the internet, like now you are manually breathing, you know, because most people, they breathe automatically, but now you think about breathing. It's kind of like that, right? But, um, but in, in a social way. I, I feel that, yeah, right? you explained it very well. Yeah, I just started manually breathing then. Yeah, you lost the game, by the way. But um, yeah, that's how I feel about it. Like, you know, it's it's like, for example, when you when you struggle to read a book, and people tell you that your your eyesight is bad, but in reality you you have dyslexia, for example. It's two different things. Both of yeah. them both of them cause you to struggle to read, right? But it's different. People yeah, assu it's assume that you're not capable of understanding them. Now, like there's trouble, there's problems in the com communication, but they're you're not incapable of understanding them, right? There's obstacles yeah. along the way, but it's not like you are incapable. So that's that's what it's for me. Yeah. So it's um, like I myself, I would love nothing more than to just be able to socialize more and you know be able to actually have that deep meaningful connection but you know it does it does make it difficult i think so too yeah you know um i think until i was like at least 24 i i was very lonely too i practically had one best friend most of the time it's only at a much later age i guess that i i don't know I started making more friends nowadays, but I wouldn't say that I'm not lonely anymore. I'm just less lonely. But at the same time, yeah. there's the, the 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 amount of people that I like have, have a connection with, you know, that really can relieve my loneliness. Is is limited to like two people, two or three people that I connect with really well. But despite yeah. that, you know, despite that, it's still astronomically rare for me to meet someone that that I connect with so so well that they make me feel less lonely, you know? Yeah, I, I definitely get that. Like, my, my pool of really close friends is pretty much at, like, two people. Mm -hmm. The rest uh, just don't make me feel any less lonely, really. Yeah. It's the same for me. And uh, it's, it's, it's funny because nowadays I do meet a lot of people, you know? But, um, and I, I know how to, I, I guess I become better at adapting. I know how to behave in a social situation. 
that makes yeah. me that makes me not come off as awkward you know it's almost like i you know i learned how to mask how to hide um how to hide some of my behavior and you know pretend to be a more more i don't like to use the word nor word normal but pretend to be more of a normal person so to say you know the lack for better words here yeah um I, yeah i think a lot of people uh, on the spectrum sort of like describe masking as you know trying to act more neurotypical yeah but it, it it still results like in i don't know you know you you can i guess you can um, at some level socialize with people but it like rarely results in i guess um a social relationships that that last longer than a few months or that isn't superficial you know i can easily make superficial connections with people i know how to do it i've become almost trained in doing it but on a deeper yeah. in a deeper level it's still hard as fuck to connect with someone you know that's how i feel yeah i mean uh you know i i am able to eat sort of like socialize with people at work ah what kind of work do you do uh, I, I just work in a retail job uh, in the aquatics section of a garden centre. Well, at least you get to see cool fish and such. Oh, yeah, stuff like koi and stuff like that. That's nice, in a way. The customers aren't nice, I imagine, but the fish are. Oh, yeah, the fish are definitely nice. Yeah, fish are always polite. That's what I like about them. But, um, yeah. yeah. And... Um, I guess so at this point you were I guess you were in your teenage years, right? Yeah. So going from there, what what happened next? Almost sounds like we're telling a reading a book here, like what happened next, but I'm curious. Yeah. So um during my uh, teenage years, sort of like leading up to me finishing school, mm-hmm. um, I I was sort of like I was planning on working my way up to university. Oh, that's good. Cool. Uh, Pretty much because of my grades, I was told by a teacher, oh, you'll never get into uni. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I mean, I mean, it's, I don't think it's totally unreasonable to judge someone by their grades, I guess, because it is a measure of performance. But at the same time, it's also unfair to only look at grades because sometimes you have obstacles holding you back. You know, maybe maybe you're capable of more if you can remove those obstacles from your life. You know yeah, I mean, uh, after that, I went on to college. So, 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 what did you want to study, and what did you study, and how did that go? Uh, so, I started off college studying uh, animal care. Oh, nice animal care! You, you know, yeah. you're you're kind of similar to me in many ways. If I hear your story, you know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's interesting, but. Uh... So uh, let me. Were you always interested in animals, like uh, from a young age, or uh, from a young age? It was uh, dinosaurs. I picked the classic four-year-old interest starter pack. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, but then I started to move on to reptiles. Ah, and I think you um, mentioned uh, tarantulas as well. Yeah, uh, tarantulas as well. I've currently got a few tarantulas. You know what, what I find funny? I notice a lot of people with autism, they tend to gravitate towards like reptiles, invertebrates, but like you rarely see them keep stuff like bunnies or kittens. It's so funny. It, it, I think it's because like they're more 
sort of like I, I hate saying this, but more unusual pets that require a lot more thought than something yeah. like a rabbit I, or. A... I feel like they are almost more relatable too. You know, they're more. They're. Is that weird to say? I find insects more relatable than, for example, a dog. I don't know why. It's because, uh, you know, they're they're sort of viewed differently than what they actually are. Yeah, they they feel, in a way, they feel predictable. Their behavior is predictable. And maybe that's relatable, but I feel like my behavior, at least as someone with autism, in a certain way, it follows more of a very, more of a strict logic, right? More than the, I don't know, even know how to explain it, but. Sort of like you've got to keep that routine up. Yeah, something like that. It's more, um, I guess, I would say less, less influenced by emotion and more by logic yeah. without sounding presumptuous like like oh you know i have i have autism and i think more rationally and logically than you normies but it is something like that you know you go more of reasoning than going with your feelings many times i think yeah kind of yeah, like I an mean, insect kind of like a yeah rabbit. like with my tarantulas at least i know what they're going to be doing half the time uh, that was going to be uh in her burrow, uh, acting all annoyed if I go in there. Yeah, like but the I, only that's what I like, you know. If you look at a moth or an insect, whatever it's doing, you can you can examine it, you can come up with an explanation for it. Like every every behavior kind of is, I guess, very goal directed. It's easy to extrapolate it, you know, make assumptions about it and for example, if a moth shivers its wings, it must be warming up its, its flight muscles, you know, to get ready to fly. And I like the fact that you can dissect it and it just completely makes sense. And I don't want to want to say that uh, people with autism are, are like reptiles, by the way. But like, I don't know, maybe it's more. <laughs> I, maybe uh, I mean, are. the only unpredictable animal I have is the centipede. <laughs> you, I can never predict that thing. Oh, you have a centipede? What kind of centipede do you have? Don't tell me. It's like a scolopendra? Or... Yes, a scolopendra. Oh, those things are terrifying, I swear. They're one of the animals that terrify me. Um, I, I've actually been bitten by this one. Bitten by it? Yeah. I heard it hurts like hell. Uh, I can vouch for that. Oh, my God. How did, how did that happen? Um, I forgot the no hands in the enclosure rule. Yeah, stupid me. Oh, yeah, you forgot. Hmm. Well, my God, I hope you don't keep any venomous snakes or stuff, because uh, if you make that mistake, you know, maybe your last mistake. Oh, God, no, it would cost me thousands of pounds. Like I'd have to apply for a DWA license and everything over here. I forgot you need those in the UK. Yeah. Here you can probably still do it without a license, but uh, maybe maybe it's not a bad thing that you need a license for that kind of stuff, you know, because... Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like it shows like, that you're you're committed, right? That you're not someone who wants to play around with uh, something deadly. Yeah. Um, so you so when you went to uh, study, right? You went to uh, college, and you yeah. studied studied animal care. Did you finish the degree? Did you manage to finish it? Um, yeah, I I studied all the way from level one to level three. Okay, well that that's good actually. That you um, at least for me. For me, studying is very difficult, so I don't know mm. how I don't know how that is for you. I guess it's different for everyone, but it can be difficult. Like, um, but 
because it was something to do a lot with my special interest, ah, which yes. is reptiles and invertebrates. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was specifically easy for me. That makes yeah, a lot of sense. So, funny thing is, um, I also tried to study biology twice, in fact, and twice I didn't finish my degree. Um, turns out mm. I, I really have horrible problems when it comes to organization and planning. Like my executive functions are garbage. And, um, you know, I also have like these special interests that completely absorb my whole consciousness, like the moths. I'm so obsessed with moths, have been since I was a small child. But despite that, if you do biology, you know, you, you, you run into complications like doing group projects with other people, uh, internships. And in those situations, I really suck. I think I'm kind of good at learning theoretical stuff, but it depends because if it requires a lot of planning to learn it and prepare for a test, that's where I feel on the planning aspect. It sucks because I still want to have a degree in biology someday. So I was wondering how how this how, you know how it compares to your situation. Maybe I shouldn't um, compare with, it, but with me, uh, it worked because most of it was coursework, uh, not tests. Mm. So uh, I didn't have to sort of revise for a test, which is something I really struggle with. Mm-hmm. Uh, but all I had to do was uh, write an assignment and. You know, I I didn't struggle with those, and a lot of it was also practical work. Ah. So for for the current job that you do, did you um, require, I guess, this education? Does your work also involve you caring for animals right now? Um, Yeah, uh, it involves me, Karen, looking after the animals that we sell. Ah, and which I imagine is like goldfish and such. Yeah, goldfish and such, which isn't uh, that too difficult. what I would say is, um, yeah, they didn't really require any sort of sort of uh, course courses from me mm-hmm. for the job. Um, however, when uh, Defra came in to do the pet sales licensing, they they were like, "Oh, all right, uh, where's your staff's license?" Mm-hmm. So I was just like, "Oh, here's my level three diploma." Well. I mean, if it helps, you know, if you get to do something that at least matches a little bit with your interests, I think this, those cases is where people with autism perform the best, you know? Yeah. Because um, the, the, the and kind of environments where we really function in, they exist, but they are rare, you know? And it often involves yeah. us being able to have some degree of freedom and being able to exercise our interests, which we tend to be really obsessed with. It's called a preoccupation, I think. That's what psychologists call it. Yeah. So, yeah. that's That part is also relatable, I guess. Yeah. So what's yeah. interesting is um, if you look at the way that people with autism communicate, I'm not a psychologist or anything, just a disclaimer, right? Because I don't want to give uh, too strong of an advice. But I think uh, cognitive studies has shown that people with autism So they are very good at uh, conveying speech and conversations when they have a lot of information in them. When there is a high information load in the, basically in your language, then it becomes easy, but we struggle 
we struggle to talk about things that have less information. So this includes small talk, for example, right? Yeah. But um, you know that people with autism, they tend to be bad at things like small talk. But there's, there's, um, there's, there's science behind it to back it up. That's because cognitively, you know, we, we like to communicate um, with a high information load. So that means almost yeah. like what the way I'm speaking right now, like I'm this, what I'm saying right now, it, it carries a lot of information at once, but like talking about the weather, like, Hey, how was your day? You know, that's more difficult for people like us most of the time. Most of the time I just act like a complete robot and just go off a list of common phrases when I'm trying to do small talk. Well, yeah, I thought it was interesting because, um, for me, it helps if science validates some of the things that I feel or have observed, you know. And I think yeah. that that socially, I think we can actually function if we com communicate with people that are like us, you know. We we don't mm. like we like to get to the point and you know carry a lot of information in one sentence. So I guess yeah. I'm doing that right now. I talk a lot. I'm a compulsive talker, but some things I struggle well, to talk about. So yeah, uh, yeah. With uh, with me, sort of like, if you get me started on something that I have like quite a bit of knowledge in, such as you like tarantulas. Or... Okay, let's let's test it. Tell me about tarantulas, Scott. I'm I'm curious. Okay, so um, I've got a few species actually in my collection. How many? So I've got one, two. Yeah, I've got about four currently. Mm -hmm. So I have a uh, Brazilian giant blonde, which is a Nandu trepepe, that is the Latin name. Mm -hmm. uh, they are from South America, and they only live about 10 years, unfortunately. Only 10 years? Yeah, the males are only live about two years. I mean, that's a long time for me. My moths, they live like two months, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Compared, compared to moths, that is a long lifespan, but... Mm -hmm. Yeah, they tend to live around sort of more arider parts of brazil ah. so sort of like you know out of the rainforest sort of like in the drier grassland type areas that's cool i've actually worked in brazil so it's cool to hear that i haven't been to the dry savannah like areas of brazil mostly the rainforest but i know they exist They're like these yeah. vast uh, plains so what made you get, get into tarantulas i'm curious and maybe this is off topic but it's fun i want to talk about it a little bit you know just to explore it uh so with me, I would say uh, I got into tarantulas uh, when I went through a phase during my teens of having a bunch of exotic pets. Ah, yeah, that uh, basically me and my mum used to have a load of exotic pets, ranging from snakes to lizards. Mm -hmm. um, we had quite a few tarantulas at the time, mm -hmm. and uh, even even a couple of piranhas. Piranhas as a pet. Yeah. Well, you're, I guess you're lucky to be able to, you know, experiment with that. Oh, yeah. Were your parents supportive of your interests? Uh, my mum's definitely been supportive of my interests. That's good. I think that's, uh, I think that's important, you know, especially, at least for me, also, you know, not also with a per person who has autism himself who has also had uh, this special interest with moths all his life. 
my parents always encouraged me to indulge in it like to the maximum they never stopped me and i think in hindsight i'm very grateful for that if, if my parents wouldn't have supported me i think i would definitely be less happy and maybe less successful as well you know not that i'm that successful some of my life is still a mess but like i'm good at certain things but only mm-hmm. because i was allowed to explore the things that i like i guess so it's good to hear that i guess it was the same for you anyway yeah mm-hmm. i mean uh with with me uh my mum's always sort of told me to sort of like you know in indulge in my special interests and sort of like get stuck into them you know embrace and uh, yeah like um when when i moved out of home uh, later on in my life uh, i decided to get back into keeping exotic pets because there was a while where i didn't have any Mm -hmm. so um i guess well, it's good for you that you didn't struggle, I guess, with uh, the college part or functioning at work part. I know many people with autism do. For some, it's hard to make a living, you know. That's a part of it as well for some people. Did you ever run into problems like that? Or do you think uh, that part is going well for you? Oh, I've definitely run into problems. With that. Like, um, I, I was all right with college, but when I went to university, Jesus Christ, that went Hmm. quite quite a bit worse than college did how so um basically at college i was getting sort of like merits distinctions which were sort of like mid to high marks mm-hmm. uh university at the end of it i got a bear pass like just about a pass why do you think that was were there any fundamental differences um there was a lot more there was a few more exams than there were at college and also just the structure of it all. Mm -hmm. And it was just the fact of being away from home for the first time. Oh yeah. I imagine that's overwhelming, I guess, you know, out of of your comfort zone. Yeah. But yeah, I went after college, I went to uni to study uh, marine conservation. Wow. Marine conservation. And how, how did that go for you? Um, yeah, I, I got a bear pass, so uh, I'm happy that I at least passed. Hmm. I mean, it sounds five- like a, a complex subject, so, I mean, having a pass, it means something, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, most, most of the subjects I was all right with. Uh, it was stuff like, you know, marine meteorology and stuff like that that I struggled marine, with. Marine meteorology. So like yeah, the, so the, the moon phases or what? or Yeah, sort of moon phases, the waves uh, and oh, stuff wow. like that. And also uh, marine geology. So, I mean, the, 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 the sheer fact that you went through that and still got a pass, that's, that's something, I think. That's definitely worth something. Yeah, like um, with, uh, I think with our first year, we were allowed to fail one unit. And I found out that the one unit I did fail. Mm-hmm. wasn't marine meteorology and i was like hang on hmm. hold up that's understandable and uh after you passed i guess did you do you still want to pursue uh any career related to that i guess um i thought like since college uh since i started working with uh fish a bit more i've been sort of gaining an appreciation for them and 
I kind of wanted to be an aquarist. That's really nice. I think the, the, that's probably one of the best things that you can do is, I guess, try to monetize the things that you love. Because, uh, you know, we, could, we tend to be so intensely obsessed with certain subjects. If you can monetize that and just make a living from doing that, that's probably the, the best kid, best outcome for most people with autism. I think, because yeah. uh, I, I don't think everyone with autism has a special interest, but I, I do think like at least half of us, I think do like it's 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 one of the correct characteristics. Yeah. So, it's strange, like, isn't it? Yeah, it is strange. Like I have always kind of had a special interest of one or another mm -hmm. throughout my life. Like um, when I was really young, it was dinosaurs. Like, I was that weird kid who would do, like, mm -hmm. impressions of a T-Rex in the playground. So so what's funny is one of the things that I read in a, in a study is that, um, so when you do things in life, right, that are rewarding, your body, mm -hmm. your, your brain, it, it kind of rewards you with uh, quote-unquote pleasure. Things like dopamine, right? It's a, it's a neurotransmitter and it activates the reward system in your brain. It's what gives you the mm. good feeling, you know. So it yeah. turns and so it turns out that everything that you do in life, it has a reward value. For example, if you're hungry and you eat a meal, then you get a certain amount of pleasure from that, right? A certain amount of dopamine, certain amount of happiness juice in your brain. Um, and everything you do has a different value. For example, um, I'm pretty sure, like, for example, winning the lottery, it gives you more pleasure than eating a good meal, right? It makes sense. It makes you happier. It gives you more of a rush. But what well, you can buy more meal. Yeah, well, for example, but what turns out is that with people with autism, these reward values are fundamentally different for many activities that we do than for normal people. So, and, and here's the catch. So uh, oh, I don't like to use the word normal people. I really shouldn't use that language, but um, okay. I'm Dutch, language barrier. Let's call them neurotypical people, people without autism. Mm. So if people uh, who are neurotypical or at least don't have autism, when they talk to each other, when they have a positive social experience, right? Then they, yeah. get, they get a certain amount of pleasure from that, a certain amount of happiness, a certain amount of dopamine. So it yeah. turns, turns out that with people with autism, the pleasure, the reward that we get from that is lower, right? It's lower. So that means if you and me are talking, we're having a nice conversation, right? Like we're, like we're doing right now and you're enjoying, yeah. you're enjoying it. The level of enjoyment that you get from that is actually lower than it would be from a person who doesn't have autism. And I think oh, that yeah. I think that's interesting because that explains many of the things that we do, right? Because if you enjoy social interaction more, you're going to pursue it more. You're going to be want to be good at it more. You know, you're going to have more stimulation, more experience. But we don't. We enjoy it less, and therefore we are less good at it because we are less motivated to pursue it, and we are less experienced for that reason. Yeah. And also our hobbies, our interests, they give us more pleasure than it would for a person without autism, you know, for a neurotypical person. So, yeah. 
also i think we have to make a new uh, zoom call for a second because this one is ending okay. so small interruption right. be right back be right back folks and uh, recording in three two one hello everyone we are back sorry for the interruption so we are using the free version of zoom which means every 14 minutes we have a small interruption because the limit is 14 minutes if you're using the free version it should be okay uh, let's get back to uh, Scott. We were talking about autism and special interests, I guess, and studying at college. So where did we leave off, Scott? Where should we continue? Okay, so I think we left the story off uh, basically uh, me going to uni mm -hmm. and sort of my aspiration to become an aquarist. Oh, yeah. So what did you think about the story that I told you about the different uh, reward values, right? What, what do you think about that? Because uh, I, 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 like, I like this topic. I study it a little bit. Yeah, well, it's good to know oneself. And I find it really interesting, actually, how the brain rewards dopamine for different activities. Yeah, but the thing is, you know, um, being, you know, the, the things that you enjoy the most in life they tend to become the things that you are naturally good at, right? If you enjoy something, you want to become good at it and you want to practice it, right? Yeah. So the thing about us is like being social in general is just less rewarding to us. So we tend to pursue it less and become, I guess, usually less successful at it. So that, that's interesting to me. Yeah. <clears throat> but yeah, I would say um, for me, I... I do quite like to socialize when there's a special connection with someone. Mm -hmm. But if it's not a special connection, I won't go out of my way to do it. Mm -hmm. I think I'm kind of the same, yeah, when it comes to that. So what about the people that you do have a connection with, for example? You mentioned that you do have a few people that you can connect with well, right? Yeah. Uh, so I've got my uh, friend Brad. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've known him since uh, college ah. and uh, yeah he's, uh, he's been a good friend to me all these years mm -hmm. and yeah he's always uh, sort of been there for me and you know I can actually just talk to him about anything and just say what's on my mind and he won't judge me for it and do you think that there, um, there's anything that separates the people that you can connect with well from from the general population, I guess? Do you think that there's something to them that makes them different? I am I think it's uh, someone who is a lot more open. So openness. You know, openness and sort of like someone who's very straightforward. Uh, so straightforwardness. I think, yeah. I think I feel you on that. I do think one of the things that makes social interactions, you know, always more difficult is, uh, I don't know, people, they tend to obfuscate their feelings and communicate them indirectly. You know, they use things mm -hmm. like passive aggression or hints. And if they, yeah. If, they, yeah, if those things, they fly over your head, you're going to have miscommunication. So. I yeah, think it's that like, that's why uh, dating is so hard when, your assistant because like i i cannot tell when someone's flirting with me hmm so maybe that's personal but I, i'm wondering like how how did that go for you have you have you tried it before or uh relationships uh i've been in a few relationships uh none have really 
sort of worked out or you know, gone beyond the, the two-year mark. Ah. Are you are you comfortable telling about the ones that you did experience? Because uh, I'm I'm just curious. I don't want to dig too deep, but I think it's interesting. Um, yeah, I'm comfortable talking about it. Um, so yeah, like the first uh, first relationship, uh, it only lasted uh, six months. Uh, that was back in college, you know, and I didn't really know sort of like the ins and outs of relationships back then. Mm -hmm. So. You know, I didn't know how someone should be treating me and like stuff like that. Mm. And yeah, it, it was wasn't the best time to be honest. Okay. Um, yeah. The thing is, again, I think I've also had a similar experience to that myself. Um. I'm thinking of a way how to how to explain that to people who may be listening, I guess. Um, yeah, I, th I think in general, just the communication part is really difficult, you know, just finding yeah. people who are relatable in the first place. And so for what's interesting is um, when it comes to like dating and relationships, for me, I've um, I'm 29, right? And I've yeah. um, I've been so far in my life. I've been in one relationship. That's the only relationship that I've had so far in my life. And it lasted about seven months. That's it. That's my whole experience with relationships. And I hope you do. You mind if if I? I mean, I don't want to talk too much about myself, but maybe, maybe. Oh, I'm. I mean, uh, it's interesting to hear the perspective from somebody else with autism. Yeah. So one thing that's interesting is um, I've definitely been in love in my life uh, several times. But for me to fall in love, it seems to be extraordinarily rare. And when it does happen, I guess uh, I'm, I'm almost 30 years old and I've really been in love um, three times in my life i think that's not much right yeah. it's, not, it's not much i mean and, i mean i think a good amount yeah well i think for the average person it's it's, it's more isn't it i believe for the average person it's a bit more it's sort of like you know yeah maybe six or seven times by the age of uh, 29 30. so what's interesting is that each each of those times I pretty much got rejected. Um, so I, I don't want to come off as um, like I'm. I don't think I'm bitter about it. Um, um, it's it's hard to convey how it feels, but the thing is, I don't I don't necessarily feel lonely because mm. um, thing is I don't think I've really experienced like mutual love with someone like what's yeah. there, there's been people there's been women who by the way were in love with me but i didn't like them in return and i've mm -hmm. been and i've been lo in love with women who didn't like me in return right so it's it always it's always a little bit one-sided and it feels like the kind of people who are romantically interested in me are not the kind of people that I am romantically interested in in return. 
and at the yeah. same and at the same time the kind of person that i am romantically interested in are not the kind of people who would be interested in me so there's a strange disconnect here i'm not exactly sure it's complex isn't it it's complex yeah it's a very complex thing at the same time i don't feel lonely because when you say oh well i've never experienced love people think wow that's that's depressing you know that sounds sad that sounds lonely i don't experience it as such well how would you know if you haven't properly experienced it yeah exactly i would almost compare it like smoking cigarettes right if you've never smoked a cigarette in your life you're not going to crave a cigarette right so if you've never if you never experienced i think uh, at least mutual romantic interest you're not going to i don't think i mean I, i guess some people crave it but for me i feel like i'm curious about it but i also don't feel lonely or like it's something that i'm something fundamental that i am missing i am curious about how it feels though but at the same time for me it's like if you've never done heroin for example it sounds a bit like a stretch but if you've never done heroin you're not going to think man i wish i i want to do some heroin i wish i had some no you never experienced it you never know what it feels like so you're not craving it that's how it feels like for me yeah like for me i would say i've only been in sort of like proper uh proper mutual sort of love type thing what Mm-hmm. like I, I look back and I realized that sort of like the other relationships I've been in before that mm-hmm. they weren't proper sort of like mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to describe it but you know the last one I was in that was like mm-hmm. that felt more emotional and more true that's good well it's good that you got to experience that I guess Yeah. Even though maybe it didn't last, you know. Sometimes it doesn't have to last in order to be a good experience, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's complex. For me, it's also complex, you know. Just thinking about it, I didn't expect to talk about this today, but um, trying to find the right words is not easy. But Yeah, I, I do get that. Like, I myself, I'm, I can't sort of find the words sometimes. Yeah, because it's complex, you know, it's uh, it's hard. And I don't want to come off as, uh, I don't want to give people the, the wrong impression, right? I don't want to sound like someone who is bitter or lonely or whatever. Um, I don't feel like I am undesirable or something or unattractive. I know that there are some people. Uh, I do get some some level of interest, but it's rarely like, hmm. it's rarely romantical in nature. It's more like people who, I guess, just, I don't know, see me online or something and they think that I'm something weird that, I don't know, they're curious about. But I... at the same time, it rarely turns into like something that's lasting, you know. It's more, yeah, exactly. I have, I get like contemporary interest. Like, hey, I, I, I listen, I'm not writing Gosling. I'm a guy who breeds moths on the internet, right? It's, it's not like I get like, um, I don't want to sound like someone who is humble bragging or something like, uh, but sometimes once in the blue moon, 
I do get people who approach me because they just, I don't know. Strangely, it's often through the internet because they just see yeah. what I do. And I guess to some people, to some women, I should say women, not people, it's attractive at some level. I guess that the fact that I'm a weird or quirky person. But most of the time, that's not like something romantic, right? It's more superficial than that, I think. Which is fine. You know, you can take it at face value and appreciate it and take the ego boost. But like interpersonal, deep, romantic things, I have no clue. Maybe it's me, though. I, I think uh, sort of like, you know, what you were saying about sort of like, you know, people thinking, oh, he's uh, quirky, he breeds moss. I, I think it's because they can sort of sense that you're passionate about something, mm-hmm. like really passionate about something. I, I don't think it's exactly sort of like pure fascination with uh, something quotation marks weird. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's just seeing that you're so passionate about the moths that that's a sort of an attractive quality. I think so. I think dating in general is this. That's a weird thing. I, I, to be honest, it's not. I rarely talk about it. On some level, I feel almost embarrassed talking about it. I guess, but at the same time, hey, you are out here sharing personal things. So if I do it in return, maybe that's fair, right? Uh, I don't have any secrets. I'm. No, I don't think that I'm ashamed. But at some level, it's strange to talk about it. I guess to open up about that kind of stuff. I don't know how that feels like to you. I mean, I'm pretty much an open book when it comes to these things. Same for me. I mean, relationships in general, I think they're a, they're a strange thing if you have autism, you know? Yeah. For me personally, I think, you know, I think for me, um, emotionally, for example, I'm someone who needs a lot of personal space. And I think that applies to a lot of people with autism. Can't generalize everyone, of course, but in some way, I think that like we like to have more distance in some way. I think that can yeah. be hard for some people, you know. Like for for me, when it's come to past relationships, I've always wanted a bit of distance. Like you know, I haven't been sort of too big on mm-hmm. you know physical affection like cuddling and that yeah but you know there's only been as i said like there's one that felt like proper true mutual mm-hmm. that's the only one where i felt sort of like happy to have them sort of like that close mm-hmm. otherwise it's just been like i, I need my space so um i guess for you was that was that the closest you've been able to come to another person or? Uh, yeah, I've been the closest I've been able to get to another person mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. without feeling some form of sort of like, oh shit, I need to get away. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, so I'm trying to find a word here because it's, it's a complex subject. It's definitely a yeah. complex subject. But I'm just kind of wondering, what are the kind of things that make us comfortable with a person in situations like that? And I'm... what what is does it depend on the kind of person, for example? You think it must be right. I think it. 
I think it entirely depends on the type of person, I believe. Mm-hmm. Like someone who is able to sort of like, you know, see past uh, sort of like the autism and I sort see. of understand, hey, hey, uh, like I, I know. I know, I know you feel uncomfortable, like we don't have to, you know, be that close if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Someone who's sort of like, you know, supportive in that. Yeah. Because when it comes to like, um, I don't know, romantic things, just the way that, at least for me, that I express myself and like to show affection. Um, it's not like it's radically different from most people, but in a way, I feel like it's different, you know, it's, it's more like, I don't know, you like to show it more through actions than, than words, I think, because, yeah, you know, maybe I think that some way we, we describe less value to stuff like that. And it sounds like a huge, huge generalization. But I do think like autism and stuff like friendship and dating, they are they are interesting subjects. To me, they are definitely yeah. interesting subjects. Because it's, it's it's almost kind of like we have um, a, a different set of values in some way, you know, different yeah. rules. And it's hard to find someone who adheres to these rules, you know, someone yeah. who, who gets the rules, who understands them. It's like these invisible rules that don't make sense to other people. But in return, I think that the other people also do a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to us, you know, and it's, you know. Yeah, it's, I think going back to the manual analogy from earlier. Yeah. Like, like neurotypical people, they have a manual on how to sort of like understand social cues and that. Mm-hmm. But we have a, like a rule book of our values but they can't read ours and we can't read theirs Hmm. i agree with that so so in your current situation um i don't know your current situation by the way you're talking about past experiences right yeah Hmm. so do do you like for me personally it's strange because um, I, I relate a lot of things to myself right now, by the way. I don't usually do that, but I think there's so much parallels. By the way, yeah. I, I also think because um, people with autism, they, they like to make uh, what is called like um, parallel stories, right? They relate to themselves. But yeah, that's that's how we often tend to communicate. To listeners, it may come off as, uh, I don't know, me trying to make the conversation about myself. But between I've had but between, between, between us, I think this conversation makes more sense. Yeah. For me, at least, I think um, I, always, I do have to, I did have to struggle. I still do with a strange, strange sense of loneliness a lot of time. It sounds like... Uh, there's, but there's this weird paradox, right? Because um, I don't know. I don't think that I'm the person that that no one likes or no one wants to hang out with, you know? Um, but at yeah. the same time, 
it's more this this weird fundamental level of loneliness where you even when you're around people you still feel misunderstood right i think that's what it comes down to you i don't think you need a lot of people to not feel lonely i think one or two people are enough to not make you feel lonely as long as they understand you and but it's the misunderstood part that's the central theme of my life like people they don't understand you they feel unrelatable even if yeah. they like you, even if they want to hang out with you, it's not going to make you less lonely if they don't understand you. And for me, that's always been a big obstacle, at least in my life. Yeah. It's yeah. like, for, for me, I've always, uh, I've always uh, wanted to be a, more understood by people. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I've wanted people to just, you know, see me for me. Yeah. And sort of like, you know, and you know it does feel lonely sometimes when uh you like i went through a phase where i didn't really have sort of like before i started college and everything where i didn't really have any friends like any i could even call like true friends mm -hmm. and that was probably a really lonely time in my life oh, that's understandable for me for me, it was also the same. I think, um, at least for me, the internet, the whole social media thing did make me a little bit less lonely. It made me less lonely in a superficial way, but it didn't make me less lonely, I guess, on the on a deeper level, without sounding emo or better. Or I'm not emo or better. I'm grateful with what I have, but at the same time, you know, yeah, just how it feels. I mean I mean, when you're talking about stuff like this, it is it is easy to sort of like for people to misunderstand and think you're coming off as like emo or better when when you're not. Like that's not the point. Yeah, I mean, you're just being honest about um, about I guess vulnerabilities and uh, people's re response to that is you know to say like ah, poor guy. I, it's not like I'm out here like looking for sympathy or feeling bad for myself, but at the same time, I'm also, you know, I just want to be open about the things that I feel. Yeah. That's how it is from my point of view. Um, I, I, I don't want to hide. Oh, yeah. I want to just be me. Yeah. No, that's, that part is really understandable, I guess. So, um, well, I guess where did we, um, where, where, where did we leave off in your life story? maybe i think we should go back to that a little bit okay um so yeah I, so yeah of course i uh, went to uni mm -hmm. and i studied uh, marine conservation ah yeah and uh yeah i managed to get a passing grade on that mm -hmm. <clears throat> and yeah that was uh i was quite proud of myself for actually getting a passing grade on it there was a point where I wasn't sure I was going to pass. But I passed, and uh, you, know, you know what? I actually, uh, I actually went, <laughs> I saw that teacher in public who told me that I would never get to uni. Ha! Prove them wrong. I, I proved them wrong. That's, that's the biggest motivation in life, proving people wrong. Oh yeah, definitely for sure. And after uh, that? But, uh, after uni, I stayed uh, 
where I studied for a little bit. Like I found a little flat there, mm-hmm. and I started a re- I started a job at a shop called McColl's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that wasn't a great work environment. Why not? Uh, well, um, basically, uh, I'm sure you can understand it's quite hard to hold down a job if it has n- absolutely nothing to do with your special interest. Uh, so what were you required to, to do there at your job? Um, I was just uh, basically a till boy. Mm. Did, you, did you have to work with like uh, customers? or? Yeah, a lot of customers. Mm. That's that's also the, that's usually the painful part, isn't it? Like having to uh, answer to at least I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to work like in a store or a restaurant and please people. Yeah. I well, would... um, yeah. I wasn't able to work there for very long. Hmm. What are the kind yeah. of issues that you ran into? Um. Basically, uh, any time I, I would come into any sort of confrontation with a customer. Oh, you do, you do get in, con- in confrontations with customers. How is that? Why is that? Uh, oftentimes, it's just a really, really pissed off guy or someone like that. Oh, my God. Why, why, though? Why, though? Why are they so pissed off? Oh, usually, it's because we, don't have, we didn't have anything stocked. Oh, but that's not even your fault, right? Yeah, it wasn't wasn't my fault. Like some, it's either someone hadn't stocked them the night before. Mm-hmm. Someone was moaning about the cost of machine and how how the cappuccino didn't come out of the cappuccino and almost threw the coffee over me. Wow, that's disgusting, though. That's yeah. what I really don't like about. Yeah, uh, you know, I think most people in general who work those kind of jobs they suffer. But yeah, for us it sounds like a double nightmare. People, are, this is I'm, off. People, this is off topic. But um, let's not blame people with autism, because customers nowadays and people in general are disgustingly entitled. So mm-hmm. that's I wouldn't pin that on people with autism alone, right? Like, have you seen how people treat like uh, workers at McDonald's if they get the order wrong? Like yeah, I've, yeah. I've been at McDonald's many times. And I've seen like like some fifty or sixty year old guy screaming on top of his lungs to some eighteen year old uh, student or somebody who is even still in high school because they forgot the chicken nuggets. Like, damn, you know, that's unre- yeah. that's unreasonable. I mean, you can you can complain if they make a mistake, but often, first of all, often you're you're taking out your anger at a person who is not even responsible for the mistake because they're they're. They're just doing the cash register, for example, and the people who made the mistake, they're like uh, doing the cooking. And I don't know, yeah. I feel mistakes are human, right? Like to take out your rage on somebody who already struggles uh, and is working a minimum wage, that shit sucks. So uh, I'm yeah. definitely not blaming pe- not blaming autism for that. Oh, oh, yeah, it's definitely not just a, no- a problem for people with autism. It's a problem for anyone who works a retail setting. Yeah, but uh, um, did, did they eventually for, fire you? Or hmm? oh, sorry, no. Proceed, proceed. Uh, but particularly for uh, me, it was literally just hell there. Like, I did not like the job at all, and in fact, uh, 
ruined my mental health a lot. Mm-hmm. In the in which way exactly? Just just to give me an image. Um, well, I did end up just having a mental breakdown at the time. Mm-hmm. Because you were so stressed out, I guess. Yeah. That's. Um, I think that's a common story. That's definitely a common story. If people like us want to get into. You know, I, I say the word people like us very often, but like, yeah, for me, for you, it's probably, it's probably the same, you know? Yeah. Some places, some environments are just, I don't know, not very accommodating. If you, no. Yeah. Even if you have a slight little, I guess more, slight, slightly more difficulty understanding the, social rules and stuff you know yeah it's mm-hmm. like you know comparing my current workplace to that is so much better mm-hmm. like the customers are s- still sometimes entitled mm-hmm. it's definitely but, you know, yeah. at, at least i get to go and see the fish afterwards <laughs> i imagine that helps oh yeah definitely so um so nowadays like um so how you are doing now socially mentally do you think that you've improved and are there still things that you struggle with i mean there's certainly things i still struggle with on a day to day like i would not deny that i struggle with things still but i think i've definitely improved a lot over the years such as i'm curious i mean i've definitely improved in sort of like you know being able to mask uh, at work and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and also just improved in actual you know being able to socialize with people Mm -hmm. so in which way i guess did you improve that and how well i probably wouldn't have gotten anywhere without the help of my mum who actually taught me a lot on how to you know properly socialize yeah that's a weird that's the weird thing though because when you're young nobody actually explains to you some of this stuff right yeah you're supposed to figure it out on your own but how how are you supposed to figure it out if nobody tells you yeah, exactly. Like, if people aren't clear with me, I don't get something. Mm-hmm. Now, then, the thing about, I think, about, um, you know, just being able to function socially, a lot of it, I think, it comes down also to trial and error, right? Yeah. Um, so when you are young, you talk to your peers, you talk to people who are the same age as you, uh, you make mistakes, you do maybe embarrassing things, and you learn from that, you adapt. Trial and error, trial and error, and slowly but surely, socially, you become more competent. Now, mm-hmm. one of one of the problems, I think, is, first of all, I think people with autism in general, they tend to get excluded a little bit more from social situations from a young age, right? Yeah. And because of that, you're already missing out on a lot of vital crucial trial and error because this trial and error is important right if you want to get to a point where you become socially more competent 
you made you need to make a lot of mistakes first to be able to become good at something but you're not yeah. even you're not even allowed to make mistakes if you get excluded in the first place so even from from that alone um like we the development it just i guess it it tends to falter a little bit behind compared to our peers because we just get less practice and and on yeah, top definitely. on top of that we need more practice than the average person to be able to become good at socializing and communication so for somebody who who needs more practice to become good at it who actually receives less practice because you often tend to be excluded i think that tends to catch up with you you know when you age when you're in your 20s or your 30s you know and people they they assume that you are just incapable of functioning socially incapable of communicating but in reality you 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 just weren't allowed to practice you weren't allowed to figure out the rules because nobody is spelling them out for you nobody is teaching you you're supposed to figure it out on your own while it's already harder for you yeah yeah and it gets framed as a like this total inability which i disagree with um it's not a total disability yeah, yeah i mean from what i from what i see um like i don't want to speak for everyone with autism i'm sure that there's a lot of people with autism who very much struggle with social situations and who will for the rest of their life struggle with it right so i don't want to speak for them and think that they can fix it if they practice more but i do think that there is an overwhelming amount of situations where we can function socially but we are just denied the opportunity to do so and and learn everything and figure it out you know i think that goes yeah. a long way like yeah if i was given a lot more sort of like ability to do that trial and error growing up mm-hmm. then i i would be a lot better at socializing well exactly you know for me my cheat code was was really youtube and and social media and um you know the thing about social media is it gets people to reach out to you it gets people to invite you to stuff and talk to you and uh, at the beginning it was very embarrassing and you know know, i made a lot of mistakes too Uh, i was 24 25 i basically had one best friend that was my whole social life but people keep contacting you. They keep talking to you. You get invited to places. Maybe you even travel. You make embarrassing, embarrassing mistakes. But so like slowly over time, you know, you, you, you fall down, you get up, you become better at it. And now I'm at a point where I feel like this conversation, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm talking sort of smoothly right now. If it, is, it sounds like I'm complimenting myself here. Maybe I am. But I had to come a long way to come to this point right now where I'm able just to, you know, be able to hold a conversation that just doesn't have awkward silences or derail. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I've had a, I've had to have a lot of, you know, practicing being able to have a, that type of conversation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like with, uh, with this uh, whole conversation thing, Mm-hmm. it's like you need you need practice at it but yeah, yeah. because you're autistic growing mm-hmm. up a really common thing to happen 
is you get excluded from groups. Yeah. For me, I guess it uh, comes down to, you know, getting an extraordinary amount of practice. You know, I was almost like I was, you know, forced to some way. Because social media does that to you. Just, you know, when swarms of people talk to you often, you just become, even if you suck at it, you, you know, you're, you're kind of forced to become better at it just because of the sheer amount of practice. And um, oh, yeah. I think that's, you know... If I didn't get that, I think in some way, like um, the whole social media thing, if that didn't happen, I would have been, I think I would have been in my 30s, very lonely and still really struggling to talk to people and open up to them in general. I always really struggle to talk about feelings and open up about things that hurt me or bother me. It took me a long time, you know, just to be able to address those things. And uh, I don't know, I'm, I'm grateful. I think. I think if there's if there's people listening with autism, um, I'm not saying everyone can do the same because you know it's severity. It depends on the individual, but I think yeah. there's a lot of people who can get to the point where they you know are able to be a little bit more confident and extroverted if they you know are able to find an environment where they're allowed to express themselves and talk and be taken seriously. That's what I think. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I can't deny the power and impact uh, that social media has had on my life. It's allowed me to practice my socialization and it's allowed me to do a lot. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, joining groups with like-minded people has allowed me to feel a lot less lonely. Have you made a lot of friends through the internet? Oh, uh, yeah, I've made a few friends from the internet. Mm. Like a few friends from entomemology and ah, entomemology, like yeah. I won't get started on that. <laughs> not yet, not yet, maybe. But um, I figured like half of the people uh, I know are from either from there or from YouTube. But uh, yeah, and that's nice though. That's the good thing about internet, you know. But before the internet, I imagine it would be even more difficult to find like-minded people. Like if you're into stuff like bugs and whatnot, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. It would like if if we were, you know, back in the back in the eighties. Yeah. Like that. That would be rough. Yeah, and I mean, not that not that any everyone has to have the same interests, you know, to be able to be your friend. But ah, it helps if you can just find communities. I guess you know, it tends to have similar people in them. Yeah. So yeah, that helps. Oh, I see, by the way, we have to uh, quickly make a new call. Do you mind? Oh, I don't mind. Yeah, it's, it's the same interruption. So uh, be right back, ladies and gentlemen. We have be to right make a back. new meet. Testing. Is it working? Hello. And we are back. Sorry for the interruption. Remind me, where did, where did we leave off? Where did we leave off? What were we talking about again? Um, I believe we were talking about... Um, oh. What is it? You know, I can't remember. <laughs> Talking something about uh, social media. Oh, yeah. And how about, uh, yeah, how about, to, I guess, be more experienced socially when you have, when you have to deal with autism, etc., etc. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember. I remember. I know it's a complex question. I also feel like maybe I shouldn't generalize uh, 
it's too much, you know, because the thing with autism in general is that everybody's case is so wildly different, you know. Yeah, like everyone has a different case each yeah. time. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't I don't want to be Dr. Phil, you know, telling people what to do because I, I don't have I don't have the answers to life, uh, you know. No. That, that, that's just what worked for me, I guess, in my situation. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sharing what's worked for me as well. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, if I didn't have my mum, uh, probably wouldn't have be as comfortable to socialize as I am currently. Mm-hmm. So how did that help you? How did that change? Um, well, um, she... She definitely uh, taught me sort of like do's and don'ts about having a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, she definitely taught me social no-nos. Mm, yeah, that's understandable, I guess. Funny thing is that we, you know, yeah, that's not the kind of stuff that we learn at school because uh, I guess it, it comes naturally to most people. So the um, the interesting thing is, I think if you look at the underlying neurology of autism is um, your brain, right? Your brain, your brain cells, they, they, they make connections, right? Um, yeah. They have something called synapses. A brain cell is basically, um, I think it has, it has like an axis and it ends in all these uh, kind of tentacles, right? Uh, these small connections it makes with other brain cells. These are called synapses. And I think yeah. what, go- what goes on with people with autism is they have an, an abundance of synapses um, in their brain cells, which means that you have an overabundance, an overabundance of connections. You basically have overconnectivity of brain cells. Yeah. And this, this is a problem because, you know, it... It leads to miscommunications, I guess, in so many ways, and, and also an, an overload of information. Mm. And what's interesting is that it also leads to, um, well, for example, the um, when you think about something, when you talk about something, when you perform a task, your brain has to retrieve information. And by doing that, it makes connections. It makes a pathway in your brain through which it retrieves information. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is these connections are more persistent in people with autism. And what that means is that um, our thoughts, our behaviors are more persistent and we struggle more to switch between them. We struggle more to switch from one behavior to a new behavior. So yeah. what that means, we, we kind of have more repetitive behaviors because, you know, um, it's kind of like a computer. A computer has different programs. You have Google, you have Word, whatever programs you use in your computer. We're using Zoom right now. Yeah. And if my computer, for example, if it had autism, maybe that sounds silly, but it would have, it would struggle to switch between Internet Explorer, you know, and, and Zoom or Word. It has more issues switching between programs. So that's that's the that's I guess the, the neuroanatomy of autism. But I guess it explains why we like we like things that we are familiar with in some way. We yeah. Yeah. 
because have... I I find when I perform a new task or something like that, it's incredibly stressful if I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I guess old behavior, it just persists more. And I guess doing things that we are already doing, that we are familiar with, it becomes easier. But at the same yeah. time, the overconnectivity, what's also interesting is um, there are certain, well, I would almost call them advantages to it because um, it turns out that with people with autism, there um, are stronger connections between some parts of your brain than, for example, when you talk, right? When you use Mm -hmm. speech or when you try to calculate something, when you try to do maths, for, for a lot of um, tasks that we do in daily life, we use different parts of our brain that are dedicated to doing those things. Yeah. But those brain parts also have to coordinate. And um, they can communicate with each other. But when there is an overconnectivity, for example, if you have autism, then you get very unusual connections in your brain that sometimes also allow you to think in certain ways to make connections that are unusual and for example you get people who are like you know the stereotype of the artistic savant person like uh, some people with autism yeah Yeah, some people with autism not all of them by the way it's important to stress this but some of us can have yeah i don't like that over generalization yeah yeah exactly i mean it's it's insulting to people who don't have that to assume that the they have like super talents, right? When you're really just struggling. So that's kind of an insulting assumption to make. Yeah. But in some ways, and for many people with autism, it allows us to make connections in our brain that a lot of other people wouldn't be able to make or certain associations. And that's why some people with autism are able to you know, see patterns or become very good at certain tasks that normal people well i have i saying normal people again that neurotypical people struggle with so yeah that's interesting that i think so i'm not sure how it applies to me or you but like in general you see different patterns right it's like yeah for instance at my job i sometimes can see things like that other people can't like i notice things we could possibly do that nobody else has thought of Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i find that really interesting that why hasn't anyone thought of this before oh yeah i think i think it's helpful to um you know to think about that because i think it explains how i guess sometimes our worldview or the way that we do things deviates from the norm because you are I guess sometimes part of your brains uh, neurologically and cognitively are involved when you do certain tasks that usually should not be involved but because there's this over connectivity they may be so yeah but yeah is there any sort of like stereotype about autism that you absolutely don't like at all well one of the things that i don't like is the stereotype that we don't have empathy that's one that i kind of hate because it's one that i used to believe you know you get told by people oh you're 
you have less empathy, you know, um, there are there are mental conditions that, that give you less empathy. It exists. Yeah. I think one is like sociopathy, maybe, or even to some extent psychopathy, which are serious, yeah. which are serious conditions, by the way. Um, but at the same at the same time, getting told that you have less empathy when that's not the case, in some some way that's de dehumanizing. Right? Yeah. Like, um, yeah, I I have sort of like experienced that myself. Yeah. Being told, oh, you have less empathy than, you know, a neurotypical person. And I'm just like, but I, but I do feel empathy. Yeah. But the, the thing is, at the surface level, it almost seems true, right? Because um, when somebody is feeling sad, for example, or when someone is feeling a certain way, you have more trouble, I guess. Hmm. Um, you, you, you get more, you have more trouble interpreting the signs that someone has said, right? So it, it may yeah. go over your head. Like, so you, you socially, you, um, you don't pick up on some certain cues, right? The cues that somebody may be feeling bad, the social cues that somebody is happy or sad or depressed. You miss these cues. And so you misunderstand. And so sometimes you um, you fail to, I guess, respond to them in an appropriate way because there yeah. is a miscommunication. But that doesn't mean that the moment that you realize that someone is suffering, that you would feel empathy for them. It's just yeah. you don't realize that the person that's suffering is suffering because they didn't make it, it it's less obvious to you but fundamentally if it was obvious to you you would feel empathy for them you know it's a different kind of miscommunication in my opinion and that's important to stress right and i think it also might come off as a lack of empathy to somebody who doesn't have autism exactly because when when we're trying to display sort of empathy ourselves mm. one thing we might do is relate it to a similar situation we've been through mm -hmm. yeah that's what we tend to do we tend to we do tend to relate a lot to, back to ourselves but yeah <clears throat> that's kind of like the, the dyslexia analogy that i like to use right um yeah it's like when you struggle to read a text and somebody tells you where well, there's something wrong with your eyes your your eyesight is bad, right? You're not able to read the words. But in reality, your eyes are fine. You just, for example, have dyslexia. You just have a trouble interpreting language. And both of these conditions, they lead you to struggle to read a text. But on a fundamental level, it's different, right? It's two different things that at the surface level look the same. But if you have dyslexia, you don't want to be told that there's something wrong with your eyes and that you have to wear glasses. Well, that's not necessary. You're getting the wrong yeah. tre treatment. And at the same time, if you're, you know, I guess I already made my point, but yeah, that's how it kind of feels, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I feel that, you know, w we do have empathy and that is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. I think so. 
I mean, I know for sure that I feel empathy. It's just less obvious to me, you know, in many situations that somebody is feeling a certain way. If I yeah. get if I get more if I get obvious signals, and I can figure it out. I will relate to them. You know, that's the thing. So that's a, that's one stereotype that always kind of annoyed me, I guess, for me. Yeah, for, for me, uh, as you mentioned before, the savant stereotype. Oh yeah. Like, I am no savant, and you know. To be sort of like said, oh, uh, you know, oh, all autistic people are savants and they're really, really, really either good at maths or something like that, or mm-hmm. they have a super power in a certain subject. Mm-hmm. It yes, comes that's off interesting. As... So, a lot of people, they have um, a conception of how autism affects your intelligence right don't you think yeah there's there's one group of people that thinks that it essentially makes you dumber and there's a group that thinks it makes you smarter both of them both of them are wrong so um do you by the way this sounds off topic off topic but um it isn't but do you know what a, a normal distribution is like uh, where we're talking about averages and mathematics, right? A normal distribution. It's... For me, maths was never my strong point. Ah, well, uh, it's a normal distribution is basically how um, how something is divided statistically over a, a bell curve. Now, this sounds this sounds a little bit off topic, but there's something interesting going on with autism and uh, intelligence. Because hmm. what you see with people with autism is that there is an inverted bell curve, an inverted normal distribution. What that means is that people with autism are more likely to have um, an intelligence quotient that is either below average or above average. So that means that if you have autism, you are more likely to have either under average intelligence or above average intelligence. So that that is interesting. Yeah. It's, it's so people with autism is it's more rare for us to have an average intelligence, and it's more common for us to have a lower or a higher than average intelligence. But it's not true. It's not true that it only makes you more intelligent or less intelligent. It makes you both. It makes it it goes both ways. But the interesting thing is our intelligence is more polarized between high and low. Now, of course, IQ and stuff, um, it's maybe a little bit in some ways overrated. I think measuring intelligence is more complex than putting IQ points on it. But like, yeah. Cognitively, in a way, it makes sense, and I think it's interesting. I I never understood the appeal of, you know, rating IQ really. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a bit complex because um, I, IQ is just that. IQ is just an average um, of how you perform certain cognitive tasks compared to your peers. But in tr- I think true intelligence, of course, is 
human intelligence in general is so much more complex than that, you know? Yeah, you'd need a way more advanced test to, you know, do true human intelligence. Yeah, that's that's why I'm careful with using it like as an, you know, end of all something that can objectively measure how quote unquote smart someone is. But I, I do think IQ, it can be an... Um, it can be a somewhat accurate predictor in some cases for how you perform on life, at least on certain levels, without you know adding too much value to it. But yeah. the, the science on how autism affects intelligence to me is very interesting, because yeah, I do think it's true that there is um, you know we tend to be on the extreme, right? We tend to be we tend to be compared to the neurotypical person. We are more likely to be far below average or far above average in intelligence. That's an interesting thing to think about. But we are more rarely in the middle. We are more rarely like on a quote unquote average normal level of IQ. So, yeah. Yeah. But it's important to note it goes both ways. You know, it doesn't make you smarter, it doesn't make you, I hate to use the word dumber. But for a lack of uh, more subtle words, it doesn't make you smarter or dumber, but it makes you more likely to be either of them. But it doesn't go one way, right? Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, intelligence is such a complex thing that, you know, you might be highly intelligent with one thing, but have absolutely no clue with another thing. Yes, it is just an average. That's literally what it is. It, actually, in, in my case, um, there's something very strange going on. I think they, uh, they tested me. And um, so it turns out my, my, my spatial awareness, my IQ, is actually very well on the lower side. It's around the 90 IQ. So mm-hmm. this, is, this is like spatial awareness, um, planning, organization, using tools. It's very below average but my verbal iq my verbal intelligence quotient was um around 127 so that's gifted so that's strange because now you have you know a person like me who scores at some levels gifted and at some levels far below average yeah and they actually tested it, and I believe my 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 IQ was around literally around 100, which is the median. Like the average IQ is 100, and mine is around that. But the problem is, this IQ is an average of how I perform on certain things, and there is such a discrepancy in how I perform. So I have a, I, there there is a discrepancy in my IQ, and it's actually very extreme. So for me, that makes the average also kind of useless, you know. Yeah, I mean, on average, on um, average, everybody has like um, one boob and one testicle, right? Yeah. But in, in practice, you rarely see that. You know, that's the problem with average. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. That's also the thing. Like <laughs> now they've got semi IQ tests specifically for autism online now. You know, oh, find really? out what your weak points are and what your strong points are. Mm, I would re- I would take really take online tests with a grain of salt because I've seen. Yeah, it's a grain of salt, but like people are now making them. Mm. 
I'm not a fan of online tests in general because there's so much, I don't know. It's a, such an easy way for people to diagnose themselves or just confirm their own bias. Yeah. I think if you have any doubts about autism, you should really see at least a mental health professional. No. Like, no. don't, I, I wouldn't recommend self-diagnosis because if you get an official diagnosis, at least you can get the support you need. Yeah, absolutely. And you could be wrong. So that's what I think, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting, though. There's a lot to say about the condition, I guess. So overall, I guess, uh, overall, it does, does tend to make life more difficult. So. Yeah. So... Um, Nowadays, for example, how are you doing nowadays? And are there any things in your life, for example, that you would still like to improve or change? Um, I I feel I'm doing all right nowadays. I feel I do need to work on a aspect of my mental health a bit more. <laughs> May I ask uh, which aspects, for example, if that isn't too personal? Uh, like, you know, I I do also suffer from depression as well mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i would like to work on that so uh, do you think that's something that um, you yourself can for example if you have chronic depression can you can you work on that or i imagine this is usually in the form more of like a treatment right that helps yeah usually it would be in the form of sort of like therapy or stuff like that but At the moment, to get an appointment, it is literally almost impossible. And sorry if you can hear noise. My dog's just woken up. Oh, I actually don't hear it. So, uh... oh, that's good. Hmm. Well, um, depression too is a very complex thing because yeah. uh, I think in some in some cases it's it's chronic and. It's more innate to you. And in some cases, it's it's more caused by the environment. And it's hard to distinguish that, right? Like, um, I think both require different treatment because if, if, it's, if it's your circumstances making you depressed, it, it takes a different approach than if you're diagnosed with like a depressive disorder, which is, I think, a chronic disorder that requires permanent treatment uh, to cope with it so that's two very yeah. separate things so like with uh with me and myself sort of like i've always kind of had a little bit of it mm -hmm. like yeah and don't worry it's not self-diagnosed i've uh i have actually gotten a professional mm -hmm. on it I imagine it often goes hand in hand with autism, I think, yeah. I mean, yeah, I believe I read a paper about it once. Yeah. Uh, sort of uh, linking correlation and causation of depression and autism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like maybe it's more like a nature versus nurture kind of thing. And... With autism, the nurture part can be more difficult, like your environment, your life experiences. I, I don't think there, there's like, um, I don't know if there's a genetic correlation, by the way. Maybe it mm. changes. 
but I imagine that your circumstances, you know, just growing up uh, are more likely to give you depression if you have autism, you know, just because things in general, you know, taking care of yourself and such is are more difficult. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like combined with sort of like some of the loneliness that can come out of autism. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of sort of depression <laughs> when you're autistic can come from. I think so, yeah. I mean, uh, isolation in general. You know, I think our generation in, in general is a very lonely generation, I feel. I feel we are very isolated. People who are in their 20s and 30s right now in the West uh, we are some of the most, I think, isolated people. Now, of course, mental health issues, it excarbates, uh, it, it makes it worse, you know. Yeah. But uh, I do it's think like... a lot of people who even don't have autism, they, they can relate to it. And yeah, I guess for, for us, it's even more of a struggle then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like with, uh, we were talking about social media earlier and how it was a greater connection but also in some ways it does make us even more lonelier mm, yeah yeah if it if it becomes a substitute for real life interaction i can see yeah. that i can see that you know and i do notice a lot of people do use it as a substitute yes yeah for sure i think to some extent it includes me Absolutely. That does make it more difficult. So, yeah. Uh, let me think. Yeah, there are the difficult questions for sure. But, um, you know, hmm, trying to word it in a certain way, it doesn't sound awkward. But Yeah, I, I do get that, like trying to word something correctly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've spoken to so many people who are our age and are feeling lonely and disconnected. It's a problem in general, you know, it's a problem with society in general, in my opinion. So, yeah, on, on top of that, you know, there's people with many mental health issues, which can range from, well, of course, autism, depression, but also many other things. Yeah, just struggle in general, I guess, to find their own place their own yeah tend to nowadays we kind of tend to i think we are very selective in the people who we open up to and who we hang out with i guess in a certain way right it's uh, uninclusive in many ways and it just makes it harder i do my my impression from you though is um I mean, you do seem good at you seem like you have a lot of self-awareness you are good at just talking about your feelings i guess so i think this is definitely possible for you to somehow find people that you can relate and connect to but yeah yeah like you know i i think that when talking about feelings and you know coming across uh, all all that with other people yeah there's no point in hiding anything mm-hmm. yeah i agree yeah you have to be honest with it huh? and um 
I guess if you had to give any advice to people listening or what would you give them? What kind of advice would you give them? People who have the same issues as us. Okay, well, uh, first of all, I would say, you know, even though it might be scary for you, try and socialize as much as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, try and try and get out there and, you know, make friends. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to do awful, embarrassing things sometimes, but just embrace it. Learn from it. Mm -hmm. And another thing I would say is always hold on to those people who are your true friends. That's definitely a good one. Yeah, especially if it's so rare, you know. Hold yeah. on to them. Yeah, I can attest to that. That's good advice, I think, yeah. So And one more bit of advice I would say is embrace your interests. Absolutely. That's one of the things, at least for me, that made my life a lot better, yeah? Yeah. For sure. I would also add, it's uh, important to be, I think, in touch with your feelings and open about them. Um, that's just advice in general, but I think a lot of people in life, they're kind of stuck and in denial about the way that they feel and the things that they struggle with. And if yeah. you double down on denying those kind of experiences, you're not going to get the help that you need and not, finding, not find the people that I guess you can connect to very well. So yeah. Yeah. Are there any any other experiences that you would like to talk about in your life that you think are important or worth talking about or addressing? Um, I would say uh really that you know, also you know, when you move out of home, really, I, I moved out of home sort of like after uni. Mm-hmm. And that was incredibly tough. Oh, yeah, I can imagine. Like, I I know a f- few uh, people on the spectrum who, you know, they, they don't move out of home as soon as I did. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, yeah, it was just, you know incredibly rough experience because I was just out there by myself just trying to learn how to be an adult and did you eventually manage or did someone help you um well I I probably haven't praised <laughs> this woman enough but my mum has helped me a lot with uh, sort of like giving me advice and stuff like that but ah. also a lot of it I have figured out by myself shout out to Scott's mom. <laughs> Hi, mom, if you're listening. <laughs> it's the same for me and my mom. She still pampers me, so thanks, mom. But uh, yeah. Shout out to Bart's mom. <laughs> ah, maybe she'll listen to, the, uh, to, to this at some point, I think so. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Is there any, anything else you would like to add? Or maybe ask me or whatever you want. Um, so... With your autism, is there anything that you've specifically, uh, like a moment you specifically struggled with? Mm, yes, in general, it's one of the things I really struggle with is studying. That really sucks because I'm very passionate about biology. I always wanted to be a biologist. 
and it sucks that you know there's constraints in how I'm able to study and plan and basically sabotage on my own attempts. Um, I don't have a driver's license at the moment. I suck at driving. The multitasking aspect of it is really difficult. Uh, yeah, so, I don't have a driver's license either. Yeah, well, that's that's a major thing. It limits my freedom. You know, I feel very dependent in many ways. That really sucks. That's harsh. Yeah. Uh, interpersonally, I'm happy. I've become much better at making connections and friendships, but I think there's also still a lot of improvements I can make, but that's, oh my God, there's actually so many things that uh, I struggle with in my life at some level, I guess, almost everything, yeah. but uh, yeah. Functioning at the workplace, uh, studying, becoming independent, you know, just organizing, planning, you know, all of those things at once are things that I struggled with, you know, just also in generally just making a living, being independent from my parents, et cetera, et cetera. And there's still a long yeah. road ahead of me. I'm, I'm probably halfway there, which is better than not being anywhere, but still I'm not completely where I want to be. So, yeah. That's, yeah that's, i guess the difficulty well um i mean if you if you work towards it then you know you're gonna get there mm -hmm. i hope so i hope it will be the same for you <clears throat> yeah i mean i've been working incredibly hard to get where i where i am now mm -hmm. well it's uh, the good thing is that you well the the first step is recognizing your flaws i guess and you seem very far in that like um for people with autism to be able to point out, you know, where there's friction, where there's issues. I don't think all of us can do that. So that's that's worth something, yeah. From there, yeah, you get improvement. Yeah. So, yeah, that's interesting. So anything else you would like to add? Um, I would like to just say that, you know, while, while autism hasn't exactly been the best time it does come with a lot of benefits benefits yeah like the special interests you know that's true they are intense right there are a source of happiness that most people don't have that's true oh yeah yeah i definitely wouldn't uh wouldn't be half as happy if i didn't have the tarantulas and the inverts in some way it kind of gives you a purpose to life that a lot of people struggle to find i guess that's yeah. may maybe i haven't thought about it but that's i think that's a gift you're right yeah a lot it's of a little... lots of people just live for the sake of living you know just for the sake of sustaining well not to sound condescending here but let's be honest lots of people they think like what's the meaning of all of this you know it's nice if you have something that you live for a purpose something to pursue yeah. like you have your moths and i have my tarantulas yeah, I agree. You're right. That that's that's a gift, absolutely. Yeah. What else would you say is a positive side of autism? It's hard to say. Because um, hmm. it's 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 hard to generalize, I guess. But I would say, from your experience, I feel like. Mm, maybe there's less of a desire at least to conform in some way we're maybe oh, yeah, more, more immune to that and i think that's a good thing because you know 
we tend to do our own thing instead of trying to fit in. And I think that uh, sometimes it can be relieving, I think. Yeah. For sure. <clears throat> so, yeah. What do you think? <clears throat> Is there anything you would like to discuss or do you think we've been through everything? I think we've uh, been through everything. I think so too. If I am reading the room, it's like, yeah, we've been talking for a long time. So we did. Yeah, it's, really, been, it's been a very long time, but we've talked about a lot during this time. Time went by really fast. Oh, I see. We have we have two and a half minutes left, by the way. So, okay. On that note, would you like to add it? End it. Uh, yeah. Let's let's end this podcast. I would say uh, thank you, Scott, for being my guest and um, being open about the things that you experienced. Uh, from what I can tell, you're an intelligent dude. Uh, you know your interests. You know the stuff that makes you happy. So um, for me, it took years to get to that point, maybe for you as well. And uh, yeah. I can only see things going better for you in the future, I guess, going forward from where we are today. Well. Yeah. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Bob. Thank you for participating, uh, Scott. And uh, bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. Ciao, ciao, ciao. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, this was Bart Coppens. And today I had my first guest with autism. I hope I did a good job of interviewing him. Thank you, Scott, if you are listening to this. Thank you for being on my podcast and thank you for being so open. You definitely seem like a very self-aware person who is trying to work around his condition and I could relate to many of your stories. This was Bart Coppens on the Rodo Pneuma podcast. Wow, I can't believe this is already episode number three. This is going pretty smoothly. If you are listening to this and you enjoy the show, feel free to reach out to me. I am looking for people who have interesting and unusual life experiences that are worth talking about. These life experiences can be either very dark, but they don't have to be. They can also be lighthearted. I've had people reach out to me with mental health struggles and abuse. However, you're also welcome to talk about lighthearted things, such as I won the lottery, which is also an interesting and unusual life experience. Feel free to send me a DM, send me an email, or send me a private message on Instagram, Facebook, or by email, and let me know your life experience. What are some of the things that you have struggled with in your life that you would like to share with others? I know it's scary to be in a public podcast, but I think many stories deserve to be told. Many experiences that people have deserve to be shared on the internet. They deserve to be discussed and talked about. This is Bart Coppens with the Rodo Pneuma podcast. Last but not least, this podcast is brand new. What does that mean? It means because the podcast is brand new that right now we really don't have any viewers, followers or listeners yet. The most difficult with starting any project on social media is finding your first followers, your first audience, your first fans. Personally, I would like to keep going. However, I'm going to need some support in the form of you people sharing this podcast. Download the podcast. Play it in your car. Listen to it while you're at work, perhaps. Share it with your family. Share it with your co-workers. Share it with your friends. 
copy the link to your favorite episode and post it on Twitter, post it on Reddit, post it on forums that you are active on, post it in your Facebook group, spread the word. What this podcast right now really needs are listeners and viewers, because without those, well, what is a podcast without an audience? Thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing this and spreading it so the podcast can grow bigger and I continue to interview more people because that would be awesome in my opinion. Hope to see you next time.